0: He was a very strange person growing up. And I'd often would wake up, uh, my sister and I shared a bunk bed in our bedroom. We had a, a shared bedroom. And I would wake up on the top bunk to him just standing at my bed, just staring at me on the bunk bed. And I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get the fuck out of here. Look inside, look inside your tiny mind and look a bit harder. Cause we're so uninspired, so sick and tired, of all the hatred you harbor. Oh, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you very, very much. Hey guys, welcome to All Things Taboo, the latest podcast in Australia. My name is Karen Taylor and we're going to be covering All Things Taboo. Um, hit me up on Instagram at Miss Karen Taylor if you have a particular taboo topic that you would like to talk about. I'd love to hear from you. And we'll also be doing some fun segments in the future, which I will um, touch on later in the show. So episodes one and two will be me writing solo and giving you some insight into my upbringing and how I came to be where I am today. Um, I've had this idea for quite some time to run a podcast, and since publicly sharing some things that I'm interested in and different things that um, otherwise raise an eyebrow to, uh, and seeing the shock value <laughs> that comes out of it and whether people um, close off or whether they open up and brings them out of their shell is something that I've kind of become a little bit addicted to so i wanted to bring those conversations into a public setting where we can actually have those open conversations for anyone who's ever felt like they are carrying a secret or they feel judged by somebody or they feel as though they can't be their true selves because society will judge them so i really wanted to create a space where we could talk about these things in a zero fucks given kind of manner um, and just have have a bit of fun with it and, you know, make light of the things that we might class as taboo in society and break free from those cages that we're feeling bound by. So um, being that there will be lots of topics discussed on here that might be offensive to some people, um, whatever we talk about, um, it's not, no one's asking you to do these things or to be um, a different way. This is just how... We have chosen to live life and um, we're comfortable with that and it's just a matter of making it more um, acceptable in the in the public as opposed to it being such a shamed idea whatever it might be that we talk about lots of topics that we're going to cover so um I want to make this make sure that this is a judgment-free zone, uh, all about a healthy debate, but don't bring any hate onto this podcast. Uh, it, if it's brought in, it's not going to be recognised. It's going to be um, deleted straight away. And if you don't want to follow the podcast, you don't want to hear what's being talked about, just don't follow. Just don't put that energy in your life. Follow the things that you want to listen to. Uh, that's fine. No one coming on the show or myself I'm um, very likely to be offended. So please, um, yeah, subscribe and and um, listen in if you feel like it. But it's if it's not for you, that's totally fine. On that note, we're going to get into today's topic. Um, it's allow me to introduce myself. I have been Karen Seams for the past eight years, and after separating with my husband last year in January, I decided to go back to my maiden name of Taylor. Um, and the main the main reason why I wanted to do this was more because I wanted to run my future endeavours uh, as an individual without implicating my ex or his family. And I've worked really hard on myself over the last two years to figure out what's best for me and I feel very comfortable in my own skin now um, with who I am as a person. I've always been known as quite a sort of loudmouth, opinionated person and often um, when someone says that, I've... Made myself smaller to fit into a mold, um, and it's it's taken away my free spirit and my wild heart. And I, what makes me who I am, is that I am an opinionated, free spirited, wild hearted, wild woman. <laughs> and um, and you know, the person that I might have been eight years ago is not who I am today. So if you're listening to this podcast, please don't expect to hear from that girl. Uh, I've grown a lot in that time, and and. I am putting out different, uh, pu- putting out a different vibes. Something that I feel really passionate about at this point in time uh, in my life. So, um, starting at the beginning, with where I grew up. I grew up in South Africa, and um, I lived with my mum and dad until I was six years old. Um, my parents had a very toxic relationship, and. My dad ended up leaving after um, several abusive situations between him and my mum and I still remember him driving down the driveway um, of our home as, as a six-year-old little girl. I still remember that home in the front and the driveway and everything and I remember him driving down the drive and I went back inside and everyone was crying and I noticed that he had left his set tape inside and I uh was devastated. I was like, mum we have to go. Like, we have to take Dad's rock set tape to him. Like, that's his favorite tape, and uh, we have to take it. We have to go." And my mum you know, not realizing that she was just in her own brokenness of my dad leaving and having to accept being a single mum and what that even looked like. My mum very willingly uh, took me to to find my dad on the on the highway to take him this rock set tape. Um, And I don't know why I wanted to take it to him. I I don't know what my attachment was. I I just, I loved my dad so much. And I think I didn't really understand what was happening and I didn't know if I was going to see my dad again. So I freaked out and I was like, I just, I think I found, I would have found any reason for us to go and find him because I just didn't know that I was going to see him again. And I thought maybe if I could just see him for one last time. And I really loved my dad, Um, even though there was issues between him and my mum, I loved my dad so much. Um, When we were growing up, we had lots of little um, rituals, I suppose, that we would do when we were kids. And one of them was, you know, we'd fucking sit around and make um, caramel from condensed milk. And see, it's like a huge, big six-hour process. You have to uh, put the condensed milk tin in the pot and then you fill it just to the brim of the lid with water, and then you have to watch it like constantly, like going back and forth for six hours <laughs> to check in that the water hasn't come down to below the, the lid of the tin. Because if it comes down too low, then the whole thing can fucking explode. <laughs> so you yeah, have it's very it's a process. And anyway, that was our thing. So it was once once it was on the stove, it was our process, and it was something that we. Uh, yeah uh, spent time doing and then once the caramel was ready we would uh, sit down with a teaspoon each and we'd each have a teaspoon of caramel and you know we'd pass the tin backwards and forwards having teaspoons of caramel um we you know dad was also like he was quite a showboater he was a bit of an adrenaline junkie and Uh, he would take us down to the harbour and pretend to drive the car into the harbour and it was just fucking nuts. Like, we were like, oh, my fucking God. Like, oh, my God, he's going to fucking kill us. Like, oh, my God. Like, and everyone was screaming and it was all wild and crazy and then, you know, he wouldn't drive us in and we'd be like, oh, fuck, yeah, like, oh, we survived today. Like, we're good. Like, you know, he obviously loves us because, like, he didn't fucking drive into the harbour today. And so it was just, like, fucking, like, constant adrenaline. We would, you know do um, back road stuff, four-wheel driving, and he would go down some of the steepest hills I've ever fucking seen. I don't think I've done four-wheel driving like that again in my life other than when I was with my dad. And I swear the car was like vertical that it would have nearly tipped over. And so it was just this constant like fucking like adrenaline thing with my dad. And I think I was just like, I loved that sort of excitement of um, what he brought into my life as a kid. And I didn't really like associate the abuse with my mum as part of my relationship. I was more, I more like enjoyed my dad's company um, for the fun things that we got to do with him. But yeah, once my dad went, once my dad left, my uh, my, my mum, Uh, couldn't afford to live in the house that we were living in, and so we ended up moving. And I have two older brothers and a younger sister, and my eldest brother was out of the house quite a bit. He had a lot of freedom, and he did his own thing. And my second eldest brother was left with me and my sister. And my mum, obviously dealing with her own mental health issues, uh, was out quite a lot, and so my sister and I were left with this brother a fair bit. And he was very strange Um, I don't have a relationship with him now at all. He was a very strange person growing up. And I'd often would wake up, my sister and I shared a bunk bed in our bedroom, we had a a shared bedroom, and I would wake up on the top bunk to him just standing at my bed, just staring at me on the bunk bed. And I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get the fuck out of here. And I would literally lose my shit. Like, I was eight years old. I would lose my shit at this guy, like, and I... Um, start. it started off as that where I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I could say to mum, like, mum, like, he came into room last night. He was standing staring at me. And she was like, oh, you know, he was probably sleepwalking. And um, I was like, oh, okay. And then so it kept happening. And I didn't know at that time what grooming was or that I was, you know, even being groomed in any way. But what had happened was it just became normal. And so I'd wake up and I'd be like, what are you fucking doing in here again? Like, get out. And eventually it was like, you're in here again. Get out. And, yeah, it, it was the start of of abuse um, to me and my sister. And, uh, yeah, I think he just sort of wore us down to the point where he knew that, you know, wasn't nothing was going to be said about um, anything that he did. And so when um, my sister and I almost have like a trauma-bonded relationship where we'd almost be able to talk to each other without even talking to each other. And um, I almost felt as though like our minds were together um, and we were just in survival mode. We just, you know, whatever we could do to protect each other, we did. And um, we have a very close relationship now, um, I think, because of a lot of the stuff that we went through. but. I remember trying to talk to an adult about what happened, uh, what was happening, and being told that I, I was wrong. I was lying. I it couldn't be true. Like that's not happening. And um, and I guess that was the first time in my life that I had been gaslit. And the person that I told was somebody that I thought I could share anything with, and they basically said that I was lying and that I was wrong. And so. And um, that was at you know eight years old, and you know even not knowing necessarily like that it was right or wrong, or you know just just assumed that this brother, you know he cared about us and he didn't want to harm us, but um I you know didn't wasn't thinking like he is a fucking psycho. Um but yeah, it turns out he was a fucking psycho. So, yeah, I think for most of my life, the um, issues, a lot of the issues that I had were around, that and not being believed and not being able to then talk to anybody else because i felt like i wasn't going to be believed um and i had to question my own reality and identity for the first time um you know as a very young girl and going into my you know even into my teens um being at school i didn't know how to connect very well with people i had trust issues um i didn't know how to have a boyfriend my brother um made it very hard as well for me to even have friends because um, he would always cause trouble at home. He would always make a scene, um, find some way to cause a problem. Um, And I remember one time when I had a couple of friends from school. I didn't have many friends. I had, like, two friends. Like, I wasn't very popular. I was quiet. I was shy. I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I was so humiliated about my life and my, my home situation that, you know, I was very quiet and shy. And I remember um, having these two friends come over to stay one time and my brother came up to the bedroom and he was like, you know, I've made you a sandwich. And I was like, oh, cool, thanks. Like, that's awesome. You can just, like, leave it there. And he just st- stood there and I was like, "Like, cool, like, you know, thanks so much. Like, you can just leave it there. And he was like, but I've made you a sandwich. I was like, okay, that's cool, but y- you can leave it there. Thank you. Like, um, it's all, you know, I appreciate it. And anyway, I ended up getting in this massive fight. So my two friends are there. He throws me down the stairs, runs after me, punches me in the face, gives me a black eye and then continues to throw me around, um, threw me on the couch, carried on punching me uh, and then runs out to the back garden and calls the police on himself. So that was my life with him. Um, he ruined every birthday party. He was creepy. Um, I once had a birthday I had a birthday party and I was really even surprised that anyone came because I didn't think anyone even liked me at school. And, yeah, he just made such a scene. And then I was obviously talk to the town at school the next week because, you know, my brother had tried to, like, make out with one of the guys that was there. And it was just humiliating. It was a really um, humiliating upbringing in that sense of, being being made like the laughing stock because of somebody else and their their problems and nothing was ever really done about it and i guess at the i don't blame any i don't blame either of my parents because i don't know what i would have done either if that was my if that was my child or that was what was happening and I I wouldn't have been able to deal with knowing that my children were being abused by one of my other children, I don't know how anyone would be able to handle that and the the shame that you would feel would be so overwhelming that it would be easier to just say, no, I'm not going to deal with that, that's not happening. So, I don't have any like a blame but it was a huge part of what formed my attachment styles and the way that I did life. Um, going into my teenage years and then even into adulthood and then my mum met a man and decided uh, that she was going to get married to him and he moved to the UK to um, earn some money and when he came back they got married and next minute we were moving to the UK so we packed up our entire lives when I was 13 and left everything behind and when we got there Uh, It was myself, this brother and my sister and my mum. And we got there and we all hopped on a bus to go to the house where we were supposed to be staying. And when we got there, it was one bedroom. It was one tiny fucking bedroom with a bathroom. And there was another guy living there. So the house that we were supposed to be staying in, my mum and her three children were supposed to live in this home. That was a room with another guy and my stepdad. And my mum was like, well, this isn't going to work. Like, where are they even going to sleep? Are they sleeping on the floor? Like, what's going to happen? This doesn't work for us. And so she called a friend that she knew that was living in London and we ended up moving to London um, to stay with a friend of hers who already had four children. So there was seven children living there and two couples. And it was pretty wild, pretty wild um, for a month when we lived there. And by the end, you know, we were basically labelled as gypsies and, um, like, we were squatting there and it was, I think, because, you know, the other kids, like, didn't really want us to be there and they didn't really have a choice, but my mum's friend also didn't want to have to kick us out, my mum didn't have a job, we moved from another country, and so we ended up staying there, yeah, for about a month, and then by the end, it was kind of a bit toxic, the way that the relationships kind of, like, separated because, yeah, we were just... Known as the kids who were squatting in their house, and so uh, we finally got a house for ourselves and got enrolled in school. And then once I started school, um, I got picked on for being South African. I got picked on for being ginger, and I it was so bizarre. It was like one girl was like, "I I don't like you because you're ginger." And it's like, oh, okay, so nothing else about me, like, is important to you. Like, it's only the fact that I'm ginger. And I had freckles and I was South African and I got picked on for a lot of those things as well. And so I changed my accent. I started to sound like I was British. Um, I I didn't um, do any, like, I didn't get in the sun because I didn't want my freckles to come out. And I coloured my hair blonde. So I just... I just dulled myself to fit in and look like everybody else. I just tried to make myself a porcelain doll instead of being this wild, wonderful person that I am and bringing what I have to offer to the world. I didn't know how to own who I was or um, choose myself. I just decided that, you know, to be, to fit in, I needed to be like everybody else or be what everyone was telling me I needed to be. And so um, I, I just... I couldn't wait to leave school, to leave home. Uh, I was still at uh, sixteen, living with my mum and my my brother was still there, and I just couldn't wait to get out of the house. And my stepdad had turned to alcohol as well, and he had become quite violent in our home, very verbally abusive, um, to all of us children, and home was just a horrible place to be. And my mum my ended up splitting up with, with her husband because um, of his drinking problem and, and how he was being. And so I know that she was always trying to do the best that she could to protect us, but she was obviously dealing with her own mental health issues, and she wasn't paying bills, and she had the bailiffs turning up all the time to pick to collect money or to take furniture or to, um, yeah, collect on whatever she was owing. And then, yeah, like um, this last time that the bailiffs rocked up, my mum didn't have a leg to stand on and we got kicked out of our home. Um, and they pretty much took everything that we had that was of any worth. And, um, yeah, my sister and I had to go and live in a shelter. It was kind of like a squalor. Um, situation and my mum went to live with the ex-husband and we, yeah, my sister and I were in this room in this house with a heap of drug addicts and we didn't have any heating we basically had to um, put on about six layers of clothes and three blankets and a you know, two dunas and any anything, like literally everything that we had, um, you know, blanket wise, we had on the bed and it was still freezing. This is, you know, in the UK and um, I, after I had left school, I got a job working in a bowling alley and I met this guy there and we started going out and he was great, um, but I wasn't. I had a lot of self-esteem issues and I was really attached um, and I didn't know how to deal with that. And so um, I went to a party one night uh, with some of the people from work and we were drinking, I was drinking a lot and and I got into a fight with him because I thought that he was talking or flirting with this other girl and so I got into this big fight with him and ended up um, going home and just thinking to myself, like, everything is shit. I work in a bowling alley. I, my boyfriend doesn't love me. Uh, I live in this shithole fucking place and I'm just not worth anything and I just didn't want to live anymore. I was just done. I was. I wanted out. And so I just grabbed every tablet that I could find in that room and I took everything. I don't even know what I took. And some, by some miracle... I don't even remember it really happening, but by some miracle I ended up waking up in the hospital uh, in the waiting room um, and I was vomiting and I sort of came to with what was going on and um, my boyfriend had come in and I, you know, I said, I told him to leave (laughs) Um, and he ended up leaving, but I didn't really want him to go, I just, wanted him to. I wanted him to stay and fight for me in some way. It was a very confusing time, and I spent the next three days in hospital, um, vomiting, <laughs> and um, getting cared for in the hospital. And once I got out of the hospital, I basically decided in that moment that it was too much for me to go back and face what had happened and what I had done and the fact that I was still alive and that I had to now face um, everybody after I had attempted to take my own life and the, th- the whole situation was so overwhelming for me that I decided to leave um, where I was living and I called my dad and I asked if I could stay with him and within a week I had packed up my life and I moved to London to go and live with my dad. And that's where i'm going to leave you guys for today's episode Uh, thank you so much for listening if any of the topics that have been discussed today have triggered you in any way or if you're feeling like you want to get some support for any of the topics um, that you may be struggling with yourself um, i have put in the bio the contact details for lifeline australia Beyond Blue, Headspace and the Orange Door Family Violence Centre. If you are struggling or you're looking um, at having a conversation with somebody about any mental health issues or struggles that you might be going through, um, please don't hesitate to contact any of those organisations or, um, alternatively, you can contact your GP in regards to getting support and getting a mental health care plan. Mm -hmm.